Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Doing some remodel work on the offering box so that it will receive larger donations without sticking out the top. <clears throat> and for all the other good things that all of you folks do, everybody is a participant here. We like that. It's wonderful. Exodus chapter 20, <clears throat> as we continue on in our study of the Ten Commandments, as they're often referred to, just to set the stage for today in verse 12 of Exodus 20, honor your father and your mother. Well, now, why would I want to do a thing like that? That your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, the word honor here simply means what we think of it. It means to place high value upon, to be very precious. to to see your mom and dad as very precious human beings. It is likely that if you do not see your parents as precious and treat them accordingly, you probably are not going to see anything beside yourself that's very precious. And that's that's kind of the first step of developing an appreciation for life is how you view your mom and your dad. Now in Hebrews chapter 8, now we're going outside of our text, in chapter 8 and verse 13, we read this in Sunday school this morning, when he said a new covenant, He has, this is Hebrews 8.13, he has made the first obsolete. Now, the first being made obsolete refers to what we just read back in Exodus 20, right? You with me? 
That's under the old covenant, and therefore what we just read is obsolete. What does obsolete mean? Somebody tell me. Be courageous. All right. Out of date. She says my old red is obsolete. I think Chad's Jeep is obsolete. But out of date, of no value. So what we just read, you know, a lot of folks don't have the clue as to how the Bible's put together. You see, we just read what the New Testament says is obsolete. I've got to make sure you understand that point. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So that whole realm of Old Testament covenant fully ended with the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., but began its destruction and obsoleteness with Acts chapter 2. And that's a part of uh, Abner's question this morning earlier. Um, But Exodus, Exodus, what we just read in honor your mama and your daddy, would have absolutely no authority over us today if it was not stated again by whom? By the apostles. Because Jesus has no authority over us today. He lived under what rule? He he lived and died under the old rule the old law was a law, the old covenant was the law of death. He brought in a new covenant of life. That's why Jesus had to die is because he lived under the old covenant and it was a law of death. And he instituted then a new covenant of life, of forgiveness, of hope that was not there under the old covenant except as it was fulfilled through the promise, which was the Messiah and the new covenant. So when we read Exodus 20, we are reading about something there that has absolutely no authority over us in any way unless it has been reinstated by the apostles. They were the executors of Jesus' will of the new covenant. Even our belief in him must come through the apostles or your belief is invalid. That's John chapter 17, verse, I think, 20. So when people say, well, Jesus only, they're throwing you back under the old covenant. Folks, that's not where you want to be. So what do we do? If our text in Exodus 20, verse 12, has no authority over us, the only way it can have authority over us is if we find it reintroduced into the new covenant. So, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. 
Now, you knew this was coming. You're smart. And I know you're way ahead of me. You've, you've already got all this figured out. But the reason we have so much confusion in the churches is because this is the most basic, most simple thing about Christianity, and people don't get it. They're, they're living in the wrong covenant. So therefore, in reality, they have no hope. And that's not nice. Ephesians chapter 6, verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> Children, disobey your parents any way you can, for this will make you mature when you face the world and face God in judgment. <laughs> you got that one right. <laughs> oh, you're all right. <clears throat> well, you got to read the Bible the way it's really being carried out in life, right? Yeah. Well, that's what people do. But now notice verse 2. Oh, who do we have writing this book? The Apostle Paul. He was one by direct appointment. So he is bringing into the Christian age, the new covenant, that without it, Exodus chapter 20 would have no merit at all to us today. Verse 2, dishonor your father. And dishonor your mama. Is that what it says? But that's what we do. See, if we read the Bible the way people practice it, it just doesn't add up, does it? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And so he ties it into the old, brings it down into the new, and says now it's valid for all of the Christian age, Children, honor your father and your mother. Now that's the transition. Uh, that's the trans, uh, transition that Paul uh, makes play. Let, let's go to Ephesians or Colossians chapter three. <clears throat> Colossians chapter three. So remember that anything we have in the new covenant that's valid for us. What's under the old covenant has no authority over us at all, and that includes all of what Jesus did because he lived under what covenant? He lived under the old covenant, and then he made the apostles the executors of his will, and it is them who bring to us the full truth of God's word for us today. That is who we are responsible to is their teaching. So, when they bring, when the apostles bring something down into the new that was in the old, then it becomes a part of the authority that we have to respond to. So in Colossians three twenty and twenty one, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. So he is bringing down into the new covenant the same idea that was found under the old covenant, even though. He has the authority to change the word, the wording somewhat. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for 
This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, well, you probably would, would rather I didn't read verse 21. Right? But what it says, I'm going to read it anyhow. Do not exasperate your children. Because if you do, they will, will what? They'll lose heart. They'll lose their incentive. You have to break their will, but you never want to break their spirit. <clears throat> so, Ephesians and Colossians, both, both books under the New Covenant, bring, bring this portion of Exodus into and under apostolic authority and makes it valid for the church and the Christian age and brings it in under the new covenant. <clears throat> now, we have studied the, four, the other four previous uh, commandments. The first one, remember what it was in verse 3 of chapter 20 where you are to have no other God before you? That's the first commandment under the old law is where you place God in your life. Just where is God? Have no other God before or between you and me. See? Don't have anything between you and me, God says in Exodus 20. And we find that that's brought down into the New Covenant. We've already spent our time on that. The second commandment was how we need to view Him. And we ought not try to view him physically or some graven image. He calls that idolatry. So how we view him has to be taken according to Exodus 20. The third commandment is how we speak of him. Do not take the name of the Lord, the character, the who Jesus or who God is, and speak of it lightly. So how we speak of him. So all three, those first three commandments of Exodus 20, tell us that they're, they have the same author as what we have under the new covenant. And he remains the same. So those first three commandments remain intact under the new covenant, which we've already demonstrated you'd expect then to find the same ideas in the New Covenant, and we do. It has to do with the one making the will. So whether it was the old will and testament or the new will and testament, the same one is making both wills. So those conditions would be the same. Where you place God, how you view Him, and how you speak of him, whether you're under the law of Moses or under the Christian New Testament, New Covenant law. Same author. Well, somebody says, well, what about pictures of Jesus? Well, remember now, first of all, Jesus was not God when he was here. So I don't care how you portray him. You can portray him any way you choose or whatever fits your fancy, because the commandment in Exodus 20 is that you shall not have any graven image of me, of God, of Jehovah. Jesus, when he was here, was as you and I are. 
He was as one of us. And if he was anything different than that, he is nothing to any of us. He's no example if he was something other. Now remember, what he was before and what he was after has nothing to do with the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity has to do with what Jesus was while he was here. That's why they're deadly wrong. When he was here, he was as you and I. And it says that everything that he did had been given to him by the God. Even the words that he said had been given to him by God. He was a man as one of us. That's why he was subject to the law and had to die under the law because the law was the covenant of death. And therefore, Jesus had to die. But he was able to die perfect and thus became the sacrifice for sin of all of humanity extended into all of the nations. Jesus is not God, but he was our way to God while he was here, and he was the one sent by God so that through him we could come to God, and people get those things confused, and we ought to get it straightened out. And then we noticed the fourth commandment three or four weeks ago. The first three have to do with the one who is making both covenants. Therefore, they have not changed. The fourth one foreshadows our hope. That is, keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Sunday today is not the Sabbath day. Saturday is not the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a day of whose rest? It happened to be the seventh day And so under the law, then it was added to the covenant of the old law and extended to a nation as a day of observance. But the New Testament broadens that out and makes it the state of being for the basis of our hope. No longer is it a day or a seventh day, it is the very reason why we are a Christian, is that we may enter into the rest that God experienced after creation. That's Hebrews chapter 4. We spent our time on that. We don't need to probably rehash that anymore. But the fourth one then, the Sabbath day, is a foreshadowing of our hope. We do not observe the seventh day as a Sabbath. Today, Christians observe the first day of the week because it represents what? The resurrection of Christ was on the the first day of the week when he was raised from the dead. So we gather today not on the Sabbath as a Sabbath, but on the first day of the week because it it is our reminder of when Jesus arose from the dead Uh, from the grave and so we honor him on the first day of the week and so the New Testament uh, under the apostolic authority the Christians came together on what day? On the first day of the week. Jews meet on the Sabbath day because they haven't a clue as to what the Sabbath day was all about but to the Christian our Sabbath is our hope that we will be with God 
in eternity, sharing in his rest. That's Hebrews 4. Now, you should go back there and read that if you forget that. <clears throat> so, the fourth one then foreshadows our hope, entering into God's rest, and that's the upgrade. That's the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant on that specific. Now, beginning with our commandment today, the focus turns horizontal. See, before now, they've been vertical. See? What you do with God, how you think about God, what you say about God, and how you hope to be a part of and a participant in his rest as a Christian. But now, this one, the fifth commandment, turns horizontal. This is family relationships. Let's go back to Genesis 1 and get a basis. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. By the way, when we come to the the horizontal, who, who can remember the two laws that have to do with people horizontally. Okay, first one is you do what you agree to do. You do all that you agree to do. Right, Greg? You agree with that? You concur with that? You've never failed in that. <laughs> I, I wanted to, you know, put him on the spot. All right, so the first one, the first law Universal for social order. I don't care whether you're Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindi, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. All these two laws are common to all religions wherever there is social order. What's the first one? You do all that you agree to do. So don't be making agreements to things that you can't foresee yourself living up to. It becomes a guardian of what you agree to. What's the second one? Who can give it to us? The second law. Okay, do not infringe or encroach on another person or their property. Now, did you know, and most of you know we've been through this many times, but that every law in the Bible comes under those two. Well, you just tell me one that doesn't, I'll show you where you're wrong. (laughs) Come on, loosen up just a little bit. Okay, do not encroach. So, thou shalt not kill. Under which of those two laws? The first one or the second one? Why does it come under the second law? You're encroaching on their person. Thou shalt not steal. Number two, because of why? Because you're encroaching on somebody else's property. So all, all, all of the laws that deal with 
human relationships under the new covenant or the old covenant are all found embraced by those two laws. Do everything that you agree to do. Don't be agreeing. Don't sign papers that you can't follow through on. And secondly, do not encroach on another person nor their property. That, those, are the, those are the two laws that summarize every law in the Bible having to do horizontally with people, and they are the basis of social order in all religions and civil governments that have order. So what happens if we start violating those? All right, we lose order. There's no order in the home. There's no order in the church. There's no order in society, in your community, in government. If you start violating either one of those two laws, and it's many, many, many-fold applications. Well, that's just a review. So now, now the focus turns from God vertically with the first four commandments and to us in our relationship with him with the fourth commandment of the Sabbath to now horizontally the rest of the commandments of the ten deal with you and me horizontally. Honor your father and your mother. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and get a foundation for this. Verse 26, Genesis 1:26. Then God said, not that that makes any difference, who's God? So God said to somebody, and I suspect that if you go back and read more of this, and we're not going to do that now, we haven't got time for that study here, but that probably includes the devil as well, or the one who became known as the devil. God said, because remember that what happens in the Garden of Eden was not the beginning of the sin problem. It is the beginning of the solution to the sin problem that began in heaven. Remember that? Don't forget that. And so when God is dealing with Adam and Eve, and he says, now, us, us, us. We got Satan involved in that discussion. So he's probably involved in it here as well. Because now there has to be a reconciliation between God and the devil as to what will work to satisfy God's claim that the devil is wrong in stating that the only reason that the angels of heaven serve God is because God bribes them. That's the issue. And that's why a lot of people today have a problem mis- mistaken because Job, uh, Job and, and God and Satan, the triune there in the book of Job, what do you have? You have, you have um, uh, Satan says to God about Job, the only reason he's a Christian is the accusation that I made against all of the hosts of heaven But the only reason that he remains true to you, not a Christian, because he was living in the patriarchal age. Job is the first book of the Bible written. He says, the only reason that anybody serves God is because of what they get out of him. That's what what Satan's claim against. And see, that's, 
the churches are saying today, you know, uh, financial prosperity. You do this and I'll do that. No, we do the right thing because it's the right thing to do whether there's any reward for it or not. We do it because we have a love for God, therefore we give. We have a love for God, therefore we do this and we do that. The motivation is different. If the only reason we do what is right is because we're going to get rewarded for it, then Satan's claim against Job is right. That's not that's, that's the wrong motive. So, let's go on. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, capable of good or evil, according to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea through the Fish and Game Commission who will destroy it. How many of you ever fished for sturgeon? Oh, I've got pictures. I've got sturgeon. I mean, I've, I've had sturgeon longer than that bench is long. Hundreds of pounds. Fish and Game Commission has virtually cut down and shut down fishing on the Columbia River through all their regulations. And what, what has happened is we used to catch four and five foot sturgeon. Wonderful eating. Wonderful eating. I mean, makes halibut look like trash. Boneless, you know, white, pure white, flaky meat, like a halibut. And then they started regulating the size and when you could fish. And now when you go out there and fish, which you can only fish one day a week, and guess what week that is, or what day of the week that is? Sunday. Sunday. Isn't that interesting? And you're only allowed to fish and keep it like maybe one day a month. I'm not sure what all the specifics of those of the new rep- but virtually the, marine, the, the um, marinas have been shut down. Because nobody wants to fish anymore. It's too dangerous. You, don't, can't keep in, you can't keep up with all the rules and regulations. But what happened is you, you, all, you, all these fish now are so big. You can't catch anything under 12, 15 feet. Guess how much a fish that weighs 5, 6, 7, 8, 900, 1,000 pounds just suspect, how much food do they eat a day? Well, look at Chad. Look how much food he eats. What if he weighed a 1,000 pounds? You'd have to butcher a hog every day. And so the Columbia River was just covered with little uh, sweet clams, you know, butter clams, all the sand, all the shores, clams and the and, and the, the, the sturgeon would go in there and they, they have sucking devices and they would suck the sand out, suck the clams, and they, they feed on those clams. So what has happened with all these big fish having to eat hundreds of pounds of food every day? What happens to the little dudes? <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that's what they're about going to have to do. Uh, you see, they, there's no food left for them. 
So we used to catch three and four footers that were very edible. Now they look like snakes. There's just nothing to them. There's nothing for them to eat. And they won't let you take the big ones out as they, they used to do. And the commercials would take the big ones out and were able to process them. And they're great. And they lose their fertility when they get old. But they don't lose their consumption of food. You see, we've messed the system up. Well, he's not talking about messing the system up here. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God has put man in charge of doing that, but not to ruin it, not to destroy it. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be good for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for every green plant for food, and so and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Well, he says in verses 28 and 29, God said to mom and dad, male and female, he said, be fruitful and multiply. You see, the family is an important sphere of human relationships. And he's dealing with it horizontally, and it goes before the law, extended for, for illustrative purposes, illustrative purposes, in Exodus 20 to the nation of Israel, and then applied in the church universally. The family is an important sphere of human relationships. And it begins with children, honor your mom and your dad. And that's, we read Ephesians 2, but we're going to read that in conclusion. I'm not done. But Ephesians 6, <clears throat> 1 and 2. How many of you enjoyed Alex's message last week? They got one hand, Alex. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it again. We got to get more hands than that. You know that was his first time ever, and it was short. That's what everybody liked. <laughs> everybody said, "Why don't you take an example from Alex?" <laughs> All right. So we conclude with today on this aspect of this in, in Ephesians six, children. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. See, it's been carried all the way down from the patriarchal age into the Mosaic age and now into the Christian age because, see, the family has always been an important sphere of human relationships. And it begins with how children look at their parents. They are to look at them as precious, precious, precious. Let's sing our song. Lead me to Calvary.
because even Jesus honored his parents, and we'll talk about that maybe next week. Let's stand as we sing one verse of 299, Lead Me to Calvary. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.